Good morning. We're getting close to Thanksgiving. That means we're getting close to the class on the roles of the church. And um, that's uh, something I want you to be in prayer about for me as I prepare that class. Because uh, uh, I have a wonderful opportunity to uh, chase away like a ton of people. Um, including maybe me. And so, uh, uh, no, I, I'm, it's, it's one as we talk about church structure and as we talk about the roles of men and women in church, it's a very important issue, but it's one that, that uh, has lots of facets to it. I, I don't think it's always just as, as clean and clear-cut as sometimes we feel it might be. And so uh, uh, I'd urge you to be in prayer for me. We're going through Paul's theology. We're, we're drawing... Uh, I think towards an end of that, you all have been very patient to uh, 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 listen to it. Last week we had Q&A and I had uh, a desire to answer all of the questions and so uh, I had them emailed to me thinking I could put out an email response. I started reading them and decided I didn't want to do that. So, <laughs> glad they didn't get asked some of those. No, um... Uh, but I didn't delete the email, so I still may try and get it done. If you're interested in those, make sure your name's on our website, uh, not website, but on our email list, because I'll email out those questions and answers and hope to get to that this week. When I was growing up, uh, uh, I, I had a number of people in my life that I got to meet and got to know, and, and I was active in church and, and church issues were important to me growing up. And so uh, I interacted with a lot of people on that basis. And I grew up at the Broadway Church of Christ in Lubbock. And I met an, uh, or I knew, uh, I should say, an elderly gentleman. Who I knew to be a, a member, uh, born and bred, if you will, uh, of the, the Church of Christ. And I asked this gentleman, he was a grandfatherly type fella, uh, why he never went to church. Because I knew him well enough to know he hadn't. Then here was a man who had been responsible for his wife's conversion and, and responsible for bringing up his children uh, uh, to be Christians. And, and yet this man, he never left the faith. He never disavowed God. He just quit going to church. And I said to him, I said, why don't you go to church? And he said, I used to. And I said, I understand. Why, why don't you go to church was my question. I was training to be a lawyer. <clears throat> Objection, non-responsive. Why don't you go to church? And he said, well, there was a time back where I went to church and I got in a business deal with this fella. And the fella I got in a business deal with was a leader in the church. And... Uh, he stiffed me. And I decided the church is full of hypocrites. And I'm not going to some place full of hypocrites. And I said, well, don't, don't, aren't you supposed to go to church? How, how can you be a Christian if you don't go to church? It's, I'm thinking like I was, I guess, 13 or 14 at the time. And he said to me, he said, well, uh, I believe in God. I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to church. I said, can we talk about it some more? He said, no. And we never did. Fast forward. I was 24 years old. 
and I was asked to speak at an event. And we were trying to figure out where the event should take place. Bless you. And there was a church at this event, or it was a church type event, but it was one that was going to pull from a lot of different churches. So 24 years old, I said, hey, why don't we have it over at this church? And I was told by someone, oh no, at least 15 people won't come if we have it there. And I said, why wouldn't they come if we have it there? Because that church has a kitchen. I said, so what? I said, well, there are about 10 or 15 people here who have a strong conviction that it's wrong to ever do a church event at a church building that has a kitchen. I said, are they skinny? <laughs> what's, what's the issue here? He said, is, yeah, said, not Methodist. He uh, said, are they skinny or what, what's the issue? He said, oh, no. They want to believe only what the Bible teaches and nothing else. And the Bible never says that a church building ought to have a kitchen. Well, I'm scratching my head and says the Bible never says a church ought to have a building. Are they meeting outside? And he said, I'm just telling you. So we, we, we didn't have it there. Now let me tell you about another time in my life. I um, um, had been asked to preach one Sunday morning at a church. And this was a church where communion was being taken that Sunday morning. And I preached that Sunday morning. And uh, uh, it was an out-of-town church. It was a church I'd had familiarity with. I'd, I'd done a lot there over the, the last few months. And, and so I preached that Sunday morning service. And during the communion time, I had the song leader, just from where he was seated, lead us in, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And so the congregation, we sang that while the communion elements were being passed around and we took communion. I went back home. I was living in Lubbock at the time. I went back home to Lubbock. And I got a call the next morning from one of the ladies who went to church there. In fact, she was church secretary. And I said, uh, uh, hey, it's good to hear from you. I, I said, uh, I really enjoyed being down there yesterday. And she said, have you heard? And I said, heard what? She said, what happened Sunday night? I said, no. She said, well, we had another preacher, and it was a preacher who had been there during the Sunday morning service. And I said, yeah. And she said, he called the whole church to repent because we had sung during communion. And I said, what? He said, yeah, the whole church needed to repent because we had sung during communion. And that, that was sinful before God. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, here's his position. There are five elements of worship. There's singing. There's communion. There's giving. There's prayer. And there's preaching. And the Bible prescribes those five elements of worship. 
But nowhere does the Bible say you can combine two into one. So we had gone beyond the realm of scripture. And Revelation says not to add anything to scripture. And we'd added to scripture. And I said, so I guess this church uh, that he attends at least never sings any of those songs that are prayers. Because that's combining two of them, isn't it? And does that mean that the communion doesn't start until after they say the prayer for the communion? And does that mean while I'm taking communion, I can't sit there and pray? I said, that makes no sense to me. She said, well, it didn't make sense to most of us either. Not like the whole church went down and confessed and asked for prayer from the three people that were left that had skipped on Sunday morning. These are stories in my past. I'll bet you've got some. Have you ever changed from one church to another one because you didn't like the way they worshipped? Have you ever changed from one church to another because you didn't like the way they did things? I have. And so I throw these out there to try to jog your brain, to try to get you plugged in to the questions that I'm asking. What should church look like? What should happen? Is David Fleming supposed to stand up at a certain time and before he stands up, are we supposed to have X number of songs? Is it supposed to have a choir? Is it supposed to have a worship leading team? What should church look like when we go? For that matter, why are we even there? Why do we go to church? Why should that gentleman I talked to not be correct in saying, I don't want to go to church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. If I want hypocrisy, I can go to work. Although, actually, I went to a funeral Ed Young preached on Wednesday. And I'll digress for just a moment. I think it was Wednesday. Ed Young had a wonderful line that he gave during this funeral. He said that the, the gentleman that was dead uh, uh, had come to Ed Young and said, uh, Ed, I am, I am an atheist. And Ed Young looked at the man and said, you're an atheist? I'd like to talk to you. And the dead man who w wasn't dead at the time, obviously, <laughs> it's kind of like Yogi Bear, you know, you go to people's funerals or they won't go to yours. Um, the, the guy, Why'd you go to the funeral? If I don't go to people's funeral, they're not going to come to mine. Okay, anyway, the guy, the guy says to Ed Young, he says, the best, or, uh, you know, or, or, I'm an atheist. Ed Young says, I want to talk to you guys. He says, why do you want to talk to me? Ed Young says, because the best sermon ever preached to me was preached to me by an atheist. The guy said, really? Ed Young said, yeah, I was in college. Man came up to me and he said, I'm an atheist. You're a Christian, aren't you? And Ed Young looked at him and said, Yes. And the man said, the atheist said to Ed Young, he said, well, I live like an atheist. And you don't live any different than I do. So if you're a Christian, that makes you a hypocrite. And Ed Young looked at him and said, you're right. 
said I had to change the way I lived and get more serious about my faith. You know, I didn't have those answers back then. But why go to church at all? Why go to Sunday school? And what should we expect at church when we go there? Do we go there for pageantry and a show? Do we go there for involvement? Is it an auditorium where we go so that we can sit and audit? What should we expect to happen there? Should we expect to be entertained? Should we expect it to be about only things that are pertaining straight to Scripture? I mean, was anybody bothered today by the service that we've had in honor of, of veterans? You know, what should we expect when we go to church? What's important at church and what's not? These are all questions that we start with today to jog your brain. Let's start with a review, very short review of what we said last week. What is church? When Paul writes the word church, ekklesia in the Greek, all Paul is using is a very common Greek word that means a gathering or an assembling of people. So there's a gathering and an assembling of people, that's church. In that sense, what should we expect and what's the reason we gather and assemble together? Why does it happen? Why do we do it? So let's go. Uh, uh, we also remember, by the way, that as Paul wrote to these gatherings of people, generally they were gathering in people's homes. I suspect maybe with kitchens. But... Maybe they only met in the houses where no cooking took place. Um, typically, the churches met in these homes, in these houses. There's some wonder, and let me tell you a story. This is kind of a military story. There was a military expedition over in what's now Syria, Iraq area in the 1920s. And in 1921, uh, one of the soldiers is digging a trench and as he's digging his trench in the sand and dirt, do you know what he finds? A wall with a tremendous mural on it, painting. This gentleman in 1921 discovered a town, a city, an ancient city called Dura Europus. Dura Europus is found on the banks of the Euphrates River in what's now Syria, but very close to Iraq. We can get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And you can see it there where the A is on the banks. Thanks to Google Maps. That's the satellite view from Google. Uh, we should give them credit. Another photograph which is from Google Commons. Of the ruins in that area that have since been excavated. The French excavation and Yale University excavated these ruins. And Dura Europus was destroyed in 256 A.D. You with me? 256 AD. Destroyed then. So every building that they're looking at precedes the year 256. That's old. 256. 
they uncovered the earliest dedicated church building that we have today. This excavation. Now there are some others that are rumored to be older. But it's hard to establish and hard to prove. There's no question about the age of this one. It definitely is before 256 AD. And it was a house that had been converted into a church. I've given you the floor plan, the before and after floor plan in your lesson. But uh, the, the church itself, this is a picture of the ruins that are left of this church. If we try to, to, to look at it in a three-dimensional sense, we have rooms. The B is the big open area. The F, scholars suspect, would have been a classroom. Perhaps uh, that's where their biblical literacy class met. The G was originally two rooms, but a wall was taken down to make it a larger expanse as a common worship area. The room that's an E at the top right-hand corner as we're looking at this picture, the D and the E, that was a room converted into a baptistry where they could baptize people. And there are still murals that were painted on the baptistry walls. Here's a mural of Jesus healing the paralytic. This is 256. Let's put this into a time frame. We live in 2009. If Jesus was crucified around 30 AD, then this was a building that was there a couple of hundred years after Jesus. We need to be thinking late 1700s to put it into a time reference for us. There are other murals that are painted on that wall. And, and, and in fact, Yale University has reconstructed that room if you ever have a chance to go up to the library with the murals reproduced at, at Yale University. But this is the oldest known church structure. And people gathered there and they went to church there. It had been a converted home dedicated to the use as a church. Now a lot of people say, why weren't there bigger church buildings? You've got to remember, during the Roman Empire, there were times of intense persecution. So it wasn't the kind of thing where you go down and build a big church building. Okay? But, but we've got this one here. And my purpose this morning is not to get into the archaeology of the church, but just to tell you, this is a real issue about attending church that's been around since the church itself. And as we consider that house church, I'm going to ask you the question. This is your poll. Why do we go to church? You can shout out your answer. Gather again. Worship, praise, encourage, worship God. I think most people will generally answer to worship God. Most common answer. And that's a thoroughly legitimate answer. But when Paul wrote about worship, Paul set forward something very radical. Paul had a very bizarre view of worship. Paul said that worship is something we should do all day, every day. In Romans 12.1, he says to present your bodies, therefore, as a living sacrifice, this is your spiritual worship. It's for Paul. Paul took worship away from the temple, away from a certain holy place. And Paul said, worship's everywhere you go. And, and it makes sense. You see, before Paul, the concept had been, even among a lot of... Uh -huh, I'm there. Thank you, Richard. Um, 
before Paul, the concept had been, why does, aha, we have technology and we can make it work. Um, before Paul, the concept had been, here's the, here's the city, okay? And in the city, we have a temple. We'll put a T in it. That's the temple. That's the holy place. If you want to worship, you go to the holy place where God is. And that's where you worship. Because there's no point in worshiping him if he's not around. Now, in the Romans and in the pagan households, they'd have little gods. And they'd set up little shrines inside their homes. Where they could worship the God. Because the God would be there with the token little idol. Soldiers would take those idols with them. They'd have little idols and they'd take them with their belts. And their packs. So that they had the protection of their gods with them. Because the mentality was God is confined within this area. So we go to God to worship him. Paul says, no. Paul says, wherever you are, believer, God is inside you. God indwells the believer. God's inside you when you eat lunch. God's inside you when you go to work. God's inside you at the ball game. God's inside you when you're driving your car. God's inside you when you're fighting with someone. God's inside you when you're loving someone. God's inside you when you're telling the truth. God's inside you when you're lying. God dwells within the believer. So everything the believer does should be done as worship. You don't go somewhere. You don't need clergy. You don't need a bishop. You don't need an elder. You don't need someone to mediate between you and God. The only mediator you need and I need is Jesus Christ. And when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord... Everything we do can be done to God's glory and to worship him. That was Paul's radical idea. So you don't read Paul writing about the need to go to church to worship. And if you were to take the English Standard Version Bible and look up the word worship with Paul, you'll see he writes of worship seven times, but never does he write of worship as the purpose of going to church. The purpose of going to church for Paul goes beyond that. Do you worship at church? Absolutely. You worship everywhere, Paul says. But there's more to church than going there to worship. Well, what, what else is there? Do you know what Paul says more than anything else about the reason we assemble together as church? More than any other thing, he says, we assemble to build up the church. We had to stop it because the rest of that is just to let me down. <laughs> Paul only has that first part in his songbook. It's just build me up buttercup. Doesn't have just to let me down. Um, but that's why we go to church for Paul more than any others. And I've pulled out a number of passages. I, I, I don't know how many we'll have time to cover here. But let's look at a few of them. Let's start with 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul's talking about... 
focus. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul's talking about uh, uh, prophecy and tongues and things that are happening in the church. And as he talks about these things, he says, uh, look at verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He's talking about how important it is that more so than tongues, we speak prophecies that speak to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. See it again? Builds up. Buttercup, baby, just to let me down. Um, now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you to prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. So that the church, the church, the purpose that you're there, the church may be built up. That's what it's about. Don't do the things that take care of you individually. In the service, or not service, in the assembling, in the gathering. You don't gather together with other believers to take care of yourself. Paul's idea was you can take care of yourself on your own. You gather together to take care of each other. Now that does mean you might gather together because you need others to take care of you. But you don't go to church to take care of yourself. You go to church to take care of others and to let others take care of you. It's a building up process, Paul would say. Consider what he says later on in the same chapter. Verse 12. In verse 12 of chapter 14, Paul says, So with yourselves, we're still in 1 Corinthians, Since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. You, if, you, if you want to speak in a tongue, he says, you need to have the power to interpret. If you're just speaking in a tongue all for yourself... In the assembling, why did you get together with other people to do that? He says, the reason you're together is to build up the church. And so when you're doing it, if you've got a tongue, you need to have an interpreter or nobody's going to be built up. Except yourself. And that's not what you are there for. That's not the purpose. Look, he says a little bit later in verse 17, same type thing. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. And that's why you're together. You gather together to build each other up, he wants you to know. Let's move out of 1 Corinthians and move to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. Paul in his closing remarks says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Just as you're doing. The Greek is the present tense there, so you, you could translate it, continue to encourage one another, continue to build one another up. It's not he's telling them a novel idea they never knew. He'd already been teaching them that. That's why you come together, to encourage, to build one another up. I want to encourage you today. I want to build you up today. I want to stand up here and use this time that you have graciously given me in your life to say something to you that you find 
helpful in your walk. And if I can do that, then I have achieved a major reason I'm here. But if I or anybody else comes up here because I want to, to, to be loved, or because I need a piece of wood that's about 18 inches off the floor so I can stand up and stomp my foot, then I want to be heard. I'm looking for an outlet. So that 15 hours a week I spend writing a lesson. Uh, you know, if, if I didn't do that, what would I do with myself? I'd be so bored. No, we do these things to build each other up. There are some Sundays you don't want to make the walk down here for class. But I want to tell you something. When I come to class... And I stand up here and teach, and you're in here. You are building me up. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank each one of you for that. I also am about ready to take up a collection for our church. Because we have these red seats in that auditorium. And did you know red is a color that catches your eye? I see your red blouse, I see your red pants, I see your red dress, I see your red blouse, I see your red sweater. Red, 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 red. Red catches your eye. Lots of studies show it. And in our auditorium, bless his heart, poor David Fleming gets up there to preach a message he's worked so hard on. And when you look out in the congregation, you see all those red seats. And you feel like there's not anybody there. Well, you put those seats in brown, and you'll see the people. And it wouldn't look like there's nobody there sometimes. Because there are a ton, thousands of people there. You build up by your presence. David Fleming works so hard on those sermons because he wants to build you up. He wants to offer something. And that's very scriptural. And that's what Paul says. He says it over and over. He says it in Ephesians 4, 11, That he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. In fact, all of us have a role. Not just that. The toes and, and the, the, the fingers and the arms and the legs and, and even the hangnails. They're all there, whatever part you are. Each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Are you seeing that word built up a lot with Brother Paul? Do you see what I'm talking about when I say he does it a lot? By the way, there's a Greek word that he's using, build up, which is a great word. It's oikodome. And um, oik, that's two words. Oiko means house. And dome means build. A home builder. And that's the word that he's using. Larry, home builder. He's using a word that is, 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 is appropriate for a house church. 
Because we're trying to build each other up. And that's the word that's translated uh, build up. Anyway, that's just a freebie. Um, That's why it's so important that the teaching be done right. That's why it's, I mean, you're, we, as, as teaching, and, and I don't have time to get to the passages, but I've laid them out in the lesson. Paul and Timothy, at the end of his life, in First and Second Timothy, goes over and over with Timothy. And he says, listen, you need to teach right. And other people need to teach right. And it's important you teach right. Because you're supposed to be building up, and you're supposed to be building up in the word of God. That's his concern. Well, what else happens at church? We meet with Christ. Um, I loved listening to the stories of General Boykin this morning. General Boykin is a, a, a hero, an American hero. And he's a hero of the faith because he holds up the Lord Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I agree with everything he does. You all know me. I'm not a fan of finding the scripture this way. You know? I'm going to leave that alone, but... (laughs) It did open to an interesting one. Um, But I don't have to agree with everything he says anymore, and he has to agree with everything I say. For me to say he's a godly man and a hero. That God is using to further his kingdom. And to build up the body. I want to tell you what though. He has stories that reminded him of what Tom Brokaw didn't know. Think about Brother Paul. One of the most profound events in his entire life. That he surely thought of every day. Was that trip to Damascus. When the Lord Jesus. Appeared to him. Scales on his eyes. He's blinded by the experience. But God. The Lord Jesus speaks to him. Because you see. If I'd have been Paul. I'd have said. How is it I lived at the same time as my Lord Jesus. And I never got to meet him. That I wasn't one of his chosen. That I wasn't at his feet. That I wasn't there for the feeding of the 5,000. That I wasn't there when he said, child, arise. That I wasn't there for Lazarus. That I wasn't, oh, I was, in, I was studying the word and I didn't get to know the word of God. And yet Paul had that experience. And don't you know that it was something he thought about every day. When Paul says that in an assembling together we meet with Christ. He does not use those words lightly. To meet with Christ was the most important event that had ever happened in his life. And Paul said, when I assemble with my brothers and sisters, Christ is in our midst. He says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3.16. Because it's what he said and, and it's recognition of what Jesus had said. When two or more of you are gathered together in my name, I am in your midst. Jesus is here. And we gather together to meet 
Because it's not just us meeting. Jesus Christ is inside you if you're a believer. Do you think you can, 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 can I meet with you, with you having Jesus Christ in you, and not have Christ present in the meeting? Can I assemble together with you, with Jesus Christ here, and not have Jesus present? Now, if Jesus is present in the meeting, what does it mean? It means it changes this dynamic. The word church is used in the Old Testament. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The word church is used in, in, at Mount Sinai. Israel gathers together. They church to have Moses come down with the law of God. And they hear the word of the Lord from Moses at church. But do you know the difference between the church service there and our church assembly? We don't just gather to hear the word of the Lord. We gather and the Lord is here. It's not just David Fleming descending down from on high to tell us about Jesus. Jesus is in our midst. And we... Paul says, are the body of Christ. That's not just some mystic idea. We're his hands. We're his feet. He's the head, but we are his body. If someone needs feeding and Christ wants to feed them, who feeds them? The body. If someone needs a shoulder to cry on and Christ shoulder is the one for them to cry on and we're to grieve with those who are grieving. We're the body of Christ. We might be the shoulder of Christ. You're seated next to someone. You are the body of Christ to them. And the body all works together to build up the body. And we come together as a body to meet Jesus. Now what does that mean with worship? That is worship. I'm not taking away the praise we sing to the Lord. That's reason to praise the Lord. He's put this organism together, this body, that he indwells in a way that nurtures and, and, and when it's working right, builds each other up. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, well, I'm sitting next to someone who's cancer. We're not perfect bodies, but we're growing we're getting better. And that's something also that happens at church. That's why the teaching is important. That's why the song service is important. That's why the prayers are important. That's why communion's important. These are all ways that God works to nourish us. It's not some ritual pattern he set up to satisfy his TV watching desires. Hey, I'm going to change channels. I'm going to watch CFBC this morning. See if they're doing it right. That's not what God's doing. And if we try to go to Paul, or for that matter, the New Testament, and find a ritualistic list of ways that we're supposed to do things, we'll be sorely disappointed. Or we will be taxed to the extent of our creative minds because that's not what we have. He could have put an order of worship in here quite easily if he had wanted to. 
But what he wants us to do is come together as the body of Christ, to meet together knowing Christ is present so that we can minister and build each other up. And in that process, we're built up. Not that we came for me, but all of you who come today have built me up. And if I come here prepared and do, do the work that God has me do, hopefully I've got something that builds you up. And if I don't pray for me next week, maybe I can hit it then. But that's what we're about. There's, when Christ is coming into Jerusalem and, and the people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're saying in Aramaic, save us God. Please save me. That's what Hosanna means. It means save, we pray thee. Please save us. And the, the chief priests and, and the scribes, they said to Jesus, they said, would you tell them to, to shut up? And Jesus says, haven't you heard? Out of the mouths of babes and infants shall come perfect praise. There is no greater praise that you can give to the Lord than to say, would you save me? Because that's putting God in, in the place where only God could dwell. There is no other saver, savior. So it's the same thing. We praise God when we minister to each other here. So coming attractions. We've got to talk about the organization of the church. That's going to be dry. And we've got to talk about roles, and that's going to be especially focused in on the role of women and men and, and that stuff. Pray for me. And in the meanwhile, would you please present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Be the body of Christ. Everywhere you go, you're the body of Christ if he's in you. Everything you do needs to be to worship Him. But when we come together, we're to encourage one another. We're to build one another up. We're to seek out a church service so that we can serve. I like the word services. If we realize it's for us to serve. And then let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's grow together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for reigning on this earth. We thank you for, for men and women who've served in our forces. We thank you for men and women who serve in your church. We thank you for our brothers and sisters, those on the left, those on the right, those before us, those behind us. We thank you for this body that's assembled together. We thank you for this gathering, this church that we have. We thank you for the leaders of it. We thank you for the teachers of it. But Lord, we thank you for the people who are cleaning up. We thank you for the people who are setting up. We thank you for the people who are simply attending. And pray that we will all work to encourage and build one another up. So the world can see your body. And be amazed. And know that it's different. In wonderful godly ways. From any other assembling of people. Bless each one who hears this message. In special ways. Give them what they need to be built up. Through Jesus we pray our amen.